Okay, we're going to be in chapter 8 today, chapter on identification, and it's a, it's a little different chapter, uh, but I think it's a pretty significant chapter. And before I really get into the chapter itself, I do want to spend a little bit of time just talking about uh, what identification is. Now, of course, when we th- speak of the cross... You know, generally what believers think of is that Christ died for us on the cross. And that is a significant uh, truth. You know, we know from uh, Scripture that Christ bore our sins. He took our sins upon Him and He went to the cross in our stead. And our salvation rests on that. Our justification rests upon that. But there is another aspect to the cross that is often overlooked. And that is the fact that as far as God is concerned, we died with Him. We are identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. And in God's eyes, not only did we die with him, but we were raised with him. And we have a whole new life that is in Christ Jesus. We are new creations. And all this rests on the fact of our identification with him. And yet, it is an aspect of the cross that is often overlooked. You know, when you talk about the cross, most of the time we think of it solely from the uh, uh, the standpoint of substitution. And I think that's why a lot of believers go on living their lives struggling in bondage to sin because they really do not grasp the rest of the picture, the rest of what what uh, was accomplished. Now, this chapter today is going to uh, basically have statements from a lot of different men and women that the Lord has used in the past. Men and women who had a real reputation in Christian circles of truly having been used by Him. Now, these names may not be familiar to a lot of us. Uh, This book was written a number of years ago. A lot of the ones that he quotes uh, were men and women who had um, very strong ministries in the late uh, 19th and early uh, 20th century, uh, which would date them before most of us. Uh, I don't know, maybe wrong, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, and, and some of the names I'll try to point out who they who they were uh, as we go through it. But before we get to the chapter, I do want to read the first fourteen verses from Romans chapter six because 
really uh, a number of these are going to make reference to Romans 6. Because Romans 6 is a critical chapter when it comes to the issue of identification. Paul opens this chapter and he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized or immersed into Christ Jesus were baptized or immersed into his death? Or you could say identified with Christ Jesus and identified into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through our, you know, identification with, into his death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That the body, or the really the totality of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no more hath dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon or count it as true yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. Very crucial chapter. It is um, foundational to a lot of Paul's teachings as you uh, not only move forward in Romans, but as you get into Ephesians and as you get into Colossians and, you know, uh, a number of Paul's other epistles. So much rests back on Romans chapter 6. The fact that we are identified totally with Christ. And let me emphasize, you know, he says, count it as true, you know, verse 11, uh, to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's two sides to the coin, as it were, here. There's the fact of being identified with Christ's death to sin. And that's important. But that's only half the equation. The other half is that we are to count ourselves alive unto God. 
And I point this out because there's a lot of people who only, uh, they'll come to the issue of identification and they'll get stuck midstream. They try to live as those who are dead to sin. We are not to live as those who are dead. We're to live as those who died to that realm and are now alive to this realm. I am not to live as somebody who's trying every day to be, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin. No, I've died to that realm. And I'm now alive to a whole new realm. And my focus is on the life side of the cross. (coughs) Too many believers stay focused on the death side of things. They're constantly focused on sin. They're focused on trying not to sin. And they may be even focusing on being dead to sin. But their focus is very much on sin. You can't be focused all the time on sin and really develop in who you are in Christ. You've got to become focused on Him. You've got to become focused on the life side of things. I recognize that I died with Christ to the old as far as God is concerned. This is a judicial thing. God considers Christ's death my death. And it severed me from, from my former relationship to Adam. And I recognize I am not in God's eyes who I once was. That has been done away with. And I now have a new life in Christ. And my focus on a day-to-day basis is on who I am in Christ because of that identification. And we'll get into that more as we move forward through the book. But I think it's an important thing to point out because I've seen a lot of people get stuck in the fact that they're going to live each day trying to be dead to sin. No, you died to see yourself as having died to that realm, and therefore your focus is no longer on that realm. Your focus is now on who you are and what you have in Christ. You know, I've said it a number of times, I'll say it again, because uh, we have such a hard time with this. You know, I, I pointed out... I think on several occasions how when I was in Ireland one day, the Lord just, I think, really laid it on my heart to do a word study of the word sinner. In the New Testament epistles, in the letters that were written to the church. And so I, you know, pulled out my quick verse, word search, and I put in, you know, every form of the word I could, you know, and was shocked Because it appears six times between Romans 1 and the end of Jude, the word sinner, any form of it, comes up six times. Three of them clearly with unbelievers. Only, and three that are in a more neutral stance. It just depends how you take them, whether it's talking to a believer or an unbeliever. But, you know, In those same passages, it was something like, I don't know, 
54 times we're called children, 20 times we're called sons, I forget how many times we're called saints, 135 times we're called brethren, uh, we're, we're called the temple of God, uh, you know, uh, those who are alive from the dead, you know, all these terms... And yet, how do we define ourselves when we talk, talk about ourselves? Well, we're just sinners. Have we embraced our identification with Christ? Yes, I have a sin nature. And we're, you know, we've talked about this as we've gone on. Our old man is seen as crucified. The old man is never seen as dead. Another interesting word study. What's seen as being dead and what's seen as being crucified. And you think, well, they're the same. No. Look at the crucifixion account. After the crucifixion, there was a lot of talking going on on the cross. Crucifixion is a place of judgment. And the old man is judged. But I died with him. And yet, we as believers keep saying, well, we're just sinners. We're, we're saved sinners, but we're sinners. No, we're saints that still struggle with sin. We're children of the Most High God who still struggle with missing the mark. But if we understand identification, we need to begin to see ourselves as those who are in Christ. We need to see ourselves as new creations. As I've said before, my prayer in the morning isn't, Lord, help me not to sin today. My prayer is, Lord, I want to live like a child of the Most High God today. I want my heavenly citizenship to be seen in my life. I want to start the day focusing on who I am in Christ. Not on who I was in Adam. That ended at the cross as far as God is concerned. I don't need to hang on to it. And as long as I cling to that, sin is going to dominate me. If my view is, well, I'm a sinner, but I'm going to try not to sin, that ain't going to go very far. But if my focus is on, I am a new creation in Christ, and I want to live in that realm, and my focus is there, and yes, I I sin. As I say, I can't deny it because my wife's in the room. Uh, Any of you who have spouses can't deny it either. But that's not, and when I sin, I acknowledge it as sin. I acknowledge, look, I've stepped off of the ground of who I am in Christ. And I pick up and I walk on. And I don't wallow in that sin. Identification is so critical to really learning to live in a realm of freedom. Yes? I have a simple uh, illustration. Because if you still have it, I have to go on a diet, and then I'm going to eat. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good illustration. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as long as, you know, I, I don't want to eat this, I don't want to eat this, I don't want to eat this, so you want to eat it. Uh, you know, your foc- if your focus is on, if your focus is on, I'm not going to do this sin, I'm not going to do this sin, I'm not going to do this sin, next thing you do, you give it, you give in to it. Your focus is in, on the wrong place. This is what, you know, I want to challenge you on. Learning to focus over here. Yeah, Jill, now did you? I just wanted to share with y'all too. I don't know if you, I mean, give this some thought if you will. When we taught marriage and family at the Bible college, it was the most incredible thing. And with the Irish. Yeah. And some of them, their marriages were, we got into a mess. We could write a book. Mm. And uh, as they began to see this, it even did so much for their marriage. Yeah. And it is, it's a, you know, I'll, I'll just say it right up front. If you have marital struggles, it ain't between your new natures. If you have marital struggles, it's going to be on the basis of your old Adamic nature. It's not going to be on who you are in Christ. Those aren't, it's, it's not those natures that are struggling with each other. It's that Adamic nature. That we're to see is being crucified. You know, it's we're not to pull this thing down off the cross and let it rule our life. And the more we understand that, you know, I think it does help us in our marriage. You know, if we begin to understand this struggle I have with my spouse is about me, you know, letting my old nature you know, insert itself into my marriage. Instead of dealing with my, my spouse on the basis of my new life in Christ and letting the Holy Spirit guide me in that area. And it changes the way we pray for each other. Yeah. I mean, you know, not, you know, I, I don't have to, Lord, help Rick to just straighten up about this, whatever it might be. Yeah. And like, not that he has Okay, with that lengthy uh, introduction, 
We'll now get into the chapter, which we probably won't get finished, but that's nothing new. Uh, So let's begin to look at some of these statements in this chapter. He says, as our thinking moves along from substitutionary birth truths, which I talked about a minute ago, on to the identification or growth truths, substitution has everything to do with how we were born into God's family. But growth in our Christian life rests on understanding our identification with Christ. It's that new life we have in Christ that's going to grow. As I've said a number of times, your old sin nature is never going to change. Man, if you don't take anything else away from here today, realize that. Whatever your fleshly nature is like today, it will be like that 10 years from now. Or 20 years from now. In my case, 65 years beyond uh, salvation. My old nature has not changed. God has not tried to fix it. God said, I hung that nasty thing on the cross and I gave you a brand new life. Quit trying to fix this. Most Christians are trying to fix their old Adamic nature. And they're hoping with enough Bible study, enough prayer, uh, enough of this, enough of that, that somehow they're going to make this righteous. They won't. And I think this is where we've seen some... Some men of God go down spiritually because I think they made the mistake of thinking this had somehow changed. And they let their guard down. And it hasn't changed. I told my students over and over again, I fear my fleshly nature. I know what it's capable of. It's what keeps me looking to the Lord and keeps my focus on who I am in Christ. Because I know my fleshly nature could destroy my marriage. It could destroy my life. It could destroy a lot of other people's lives very easily. This has not changed. And yours won't. And don't let that shock you. I'll tell you right now. And this is where, say, comes the concept of backsliding, which is not a biblical concept. I said that to a student, and one of them finally came to me one day and found one place in the Old Testament where it talked about the nation of Israel backsliding. never says that we as believers backslide. We don't backslide. We step off of who we are in Christ and, and, and let the flesh show up, which hasn't changed. And it's not that this went backwards, it's that this never changed. And the answer is to recognize it and step back over and walk on with the Lord. If you don't understand that, it can be very discouraging. I know Jonelle was talking to one of our Irish women one day, and this Irish woman was just so discouraged. She said, you know, I'm going along in my Christian life and I'm growing and growing, and then all of a sudden I'm back where I was. And it's kind of like, now i got to start all over again and work my way. And she goes, no. Joe, now, 
showed her. She said, no, what it is, you're going along and you're growing and you step back over into your old nature and it hasn't changed. But recognize what happened and pick up and go on. It changed everything for her to realize what was happening. So, you know, we've seen... You know, the substitutionary truth has to do with how we're born. The identification truth has to do with how we grow. And so he says it might be good to consider briefly what leaders honored by God through the years have to say about our identification as centered in Romans 6. And that's why I read Romans 6, 1 through 14, because it is so crucial to what we're going to be talking about in this chapter. He starts out with Evan H. Hopkins, a man that uh, was very involved in the Keswick movement in in England. I don't know if you're familiar with the Keswick movement, but uh, it had a lot to do with a lot of the deeper growth truths. And and Evan Hopkins was heavily involved uh, with that movement. And he writes, and I'll put this statement up, The trouble of the believer who knows Christ as his justification is not sin as to its guilt, but sin as to its ruling power. You know, he says, you know, um, if you know Christ as your source of righteousness, your justification... He says, the problem you face now isn't the problem of guilt. Christ bore your guilt. He paid your penalty. That is no longer your problem. But what your problem is, is sin's rule in your life. The power of sin in your life that you're dealing with on a daily basis. And I I think most of you in this room can attest to that. You're saved. You know your sins have been paid for. You know you're going to go to heaven when you die. That is not the issue to you on a day-to-day basis. On a day-to-day basis, the issue is your struggle with sin. He goes on, he says, In other words, it's not from sin as a load or an offense that he seeks to be freed. You know, that burden is gone. For he sees that God has completely acquitted him from the charge and penalty of sin. That's been dealt with. But it is from sin as a master. That's what the believer is dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And he says, to know God's way of deliverance from sin as a master... He must apprehend the truth contained in the sixth chapter of Romans. Why? Because um, there we see what God has done not with our sins. Says that question uh, the apostle dealt with in the preceding chapters. You know, in, in chapters 2 through 5, Paul dealt with what God uh, did with our sin. How he, 
how He uh, paid for it, and how He uh, declared us to be righteous in Christ. He says, "But with ourselves, the I got ahead myself. But with ourselves, the agents and slaves of sin." He says, he has put our old man, our original self, where he put our sins, namely on the cross with Christ. He took our old man and nailed it to the cross. And I'm to see it there and leave it there and quit trying to fix it. Somebody has likened it to, you know, trying to fix the old man is like doing, uh, you know, an extreme makeover on a corpse. You can put all the makeup you want on that thing and it still isn't going to make it any better. He says, no, and he quotes from Romans 6 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. And he says, the believer there sees not only that Christ died for him, substitution, but that he died with Christ, identification. This is what Evan Hopkins has to say. Now, Again, it's going to be interesting because he's got about ten different men and women that the Lord used. All basically testifying to the same thing. And I've, I've said that's one thing I appreciate about Stanford in this book. Is he, he does quote from a lot of different people. I get, I get nervous when... Somebody's theology is based solely on what they've come up with. You know, if it's, if it's true, then good and godly men and women down through the centuries should have seen it. Because they had the Holy Spirit. And that's what uh, I find helpful in this book is that he can go back and he can look at, at men and women who have had this reputation of being used by God, of having very fruitful ministry, and you see them all coming to similar conclusions based on the Scripture. That gives validity to it. Now, Evan Hopkins probably is not a well-known name to most of you. Some of you, a few more of you, may be familiar with Andrew Murray. <clears throat> and Andrew Murray writes, Like Christ, the believer too has died to sin. He is one with Christ in the likeness of his death. Romans 6, 5. And he says, and as the knowledge that Christ died for sin as our atonement is indispensable to justification, so the knowledge that Christ and we with him in the likeness of his death are dead to sin is indispensable to our sanctification. Now, sanctification has to do... Turn this 
sanctification has to do with our being set apart. And of course, it probably would do well for me to say, you know, there's three different uh, tenses of sanctification really in Scripture. There's the past tense, which we can call positional sanctification, in which we have already been set apart in God's eyes as belonging to him. And then there's an ongoing aspect of sanctification, which we call practical sanctification, in that it has to do with our practice. Our lives are in the process of being set apart. To him. As we live as new creations, our lives become set apart from the world. And then there's a future tense, an ultimate sanctification, where one day you and I will be removed from this unbelieving world, uh, will be taken off to be with him, will be physically separated from this world. And, you know, I've used the illustration. I say, you know, when Heather and Emily were little, they had their little programs at school, which we as dutiful parents would go to. And you sit out there in the audience and you look up there and you see like 30 kids and Heather and Emily. You know, positionally they were set apart. We saw a bunch of other faces, but we looked and we saw two specific ones who were ours. They were different, you know, in our eyes. And then when the program was over, uh, well, uh, well, let me add this. For the practical sense, you know, there's, uh, you know, we saw them as ours. Well, we also desired that as they went through life, that their lives demonstrate the values of our family. And you know, most of your parent, you parents are that way. You know, your kids say, well, everybody else is doing it. And what is your response? You aren't everybody else. <laughs> You're my child. You know, uh, I w- desire that just like we see you as different from everybody else, we want them to recognize that you are part of our family. And then going back to that program, when it was over, we went up and we got Heather and Emily and we took them home. We separated them from the group and took them to be with us. So all three of those aspects are involved uh, in our salvation. But where Andrew Murray is talking about that, you know... um, so no, uh, the knowledge that Christ and we with him in the likeness of his death are dead to sin is indispensable to our sanctification. He's talking about in the, the uh, practical sense, the impact on our lives. It is what sets us apart. Then he quotes from Hudson Taylor. A name I hope is familiar to many of you. Hudson Taylor was a longtime missionary in China. He was uh, the founder of the China Inland Mission, which is under a different name now. I forget what the the name of the mission is, something world. But, uh, uh, you know, had quite a, a significant impact uh, in China during his years. And he writes, 
since Christ has thus dwelt in my heart by faith, how happy I've been. I am dead and buried with Christ. I am risen too. And he saw both sides of it. Yes, he died with Christ, but he risen with Christ. And now Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he says, nor should we look upon the, uh, this experience, these truths, as for the few. He points out, these truths are not just for a few believers. He says, they are the birthright of every child of God. And no one can dispense with them without dishonoring our Lord. You know, back in my uh, Bible college days, I, you know, we had a chapel service every day, and most of them I can't remember a thing that was said, but there were a few. The things that stuck with me were generally just little one-sentence statements uh, that kind of uh, hit me. And this one guy was speaking, and he said, there are no such things as spiritual giants. There are just small Christians. And I think you could say there are no such thing as spiritual giants. There are immature Christians or there are uh, Christians who are totally unaware of what they have are and have in Christ. See, a giant is abnormally large. And, you know, when we look at certain ones as spiritual giants... We think that somehow they are bigger than, than, than most people are meant to be. And it, it causes us to really think, well, I can never measure up. He's a giant. And that can dishearten us. But to realize these men and women weren't giants. They were just men and women who came closer to reaching their potential. Another statement that goes along very similarly. Uh, We were in a missions conference over in Birmingham one time and there was a fellow speaking who had become a pastor of a, I think a large church in Canada where, where, you know, he felt he was filling very large shoes and he, he talked about the huge shadow that the man before him had cast. And the thing that hit me is the size of the person has very little to do with the shadow they throw. It has to do with where they stand in, in, in relationship to the light. In fact, I used that uh, at one of our graduations in uh, Waukesha with the students. I actually had them put a spotlight up on the stage and I stood up there and I had Jonelle stand beside me and I don't know if you've noticed, but we're different sizes. Uh, and I had her take one step towards the light. And her shadow, you know, was Im- became immense next to mine. Just by one step to the light. 
See, we all have this potential in, in Christ. We all have the same provisions. It's just where we stand in relationship to the light. Are we wallowing around over here in the old trying to fix it? Or are we walking closer and closer to our light? Christ. And the closer we walk to Him, the bigger the shadow our life casts. Similarly, we were um, at one of our... uh, when we were in Ireland, every year we had a conference uh, where all the missionaries in, in Europe joined. And we, we were there and somebody was talking about Moody and, and uh, uh, I forget who it was with him. As they had ministered in Europe and that they cast a long shadow. The thing that struck me again is the length of a shadow has a lot to do with where you stand in relationship to the light. If the light's way up here, your shadow's going to be small. If the light's beside you, your shadow's going to go long. So the size of our shadow and the length of our shadow has a lot to do with whether we really come to see ourselves as having died to the old and alive to the new and learn to walk close to our Lord. But that closeness really rests very heavily on us understanding identification. Otherwise, we're so focused on our sin and trying to fix what we are. Rather than just walking close to Him day in and day out. Now, we didn't get real far. We're out of time. We'll pick up there in two weeks. I say two weeks because next week is fourth Sunday, so we have prayer Sunday uh, next week. Uh, but two weeks from now, we'll try to f- finish this chapter. Uh, again, it is an incredibly important chapter. I just hope that by the time we finish it, you've really come to see that just like you believed God when He said Christ died for your sins... He wants you to believe Him when He said you died with Christ, were buried with Christ, and now you have a whole new life with Christ. Count that just as true as the substitutionary work of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for our new life in Christ. Lord, just the potential that it has. Lord, to think that we are children of the Most High God. That we may be in this world, but our citizenship is no longer here. Our citizenship is in the heavenly realm. Lord, we thank you that as we live in this world, you see us as different. And you want others to see uh, in us a life that is different, a life made different by Christ being formed in us. Lord, what potential we have, but that potential rests upon our focus being on our source of everything, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we focus more and more on Him and less and less on fixing ourselves. And Lord, may He be increasingly seen in us and others drawn to Him. First, in his precious name we pray. Amen.